0: Welcome to Living Truth Radio, a Ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship with Pastor Michael Lance. It is our goal to build up believers and reach out with God's truth to all people. Now, here's today's message with Pastor Michael. Take your Bible, open it to Acts chapter 17. We're going to be looking at ministry in the marketplace. Is the title of our message, Acts 17, where we'll be looking at verses 16 through 34. You could call this the gospel versus Athens Greece. Time to put on the gloves or take them off and start fighting. And that's what we're going to be seeing is we're going to be seeing Christianity move into an area that was known as the intellectual center of the world, Athens, Greece. And we're going to watch Paul move into another place. He's all by himself now. His life has been threatened in yet another place. And he's been going through it, but he's continued to stay faithful. I had the privilege of going down to Calvary Chapel Bible College with my son as a student. He led some worship on Friday with the student body. And I heard another pastor tell a story about two guys who founded a bungee jumping company. And so they made all their preparations and all that stuff. And they decided to launch the company in Mexico. And so they went into a, kind of a public open square in Mexico You know, the parking lot below, they elevated the platform, measured out the bungee, and one of the two partners decided he would be the guinea pig, so he would test it out first, and off the ramp he went. And as he came back up the first time, he was kind of scratched up, and he wasn't looking too good. And so his partner realized something was wrong, so he tried to grab him and bring him back to the platform, but he couldn't get him, and down he went again. The next time he came up, he was all bruised, and he looked even worse than before. And the guy was thinking, oh no, the bungee's too long. We measured the wrong way. My partner's getting beat up, and he tried to grab him again, and down he went again for the third time. He came up this next time almost unconscious. Finally, his partner was able to get his shirt and pull him onto the platform. And he said, what happened? What happened? Was the bungee too long? And his partner said, no, it was fine. But what's a pinata? (laughs) Anyway. That's kind of how Paul felt, is he, yeah. Acts 17, verse 15 says, Now those who conducted Paul brought him as far as Athens and receiving a command for Silas and Timothy to come to him as soon as possible, they departed. So Paul now moving to, notice Athens, Greece was all by himself as he waited for his partners, his missionary partners. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the word of God. Thank you for every person who has come here this morning hungry to hear from you. Thank you for those who may be coming back to church and it's been a while. Thank you for those who may be visiting and thank you for those who are on the front lines and continue to persevere and preach the good news of the gospel. Paul's uh, mission in Athens is going to challenge us to the core. It's going to challenge our eyes and our hearts. It's going to challenge the way we see the world and the way we feel and then what we do with that. And Lord as I have read this text uh, over this week, I am challenged once again to have your eyes, to have your heart for the lost, to have the passion that you stoked in Paul uh, to preach the good news of the gospel with those who are outside of the faith and lost without you. And so, Father, I pray you would stir us to love and good deeds. I pray we would not only just be a spectator watching Paul in Athens, but we would put ourselves there. We'd remember what you did for us. We would remember that you've called us to be ambassadors of the gospel. So we lay this time at your feet. Pray that you would add and take away from what's been prepared in the notes before me and make us good listeners, ready to receive and act upon the word of God. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So, Paul has left Berea. He's made about a 200 mile journey to Athens, and I want to show you some pictures of what he encountered in Athens, Greece. Um, Terry, if you got it. So, Athens had an Acropolis, literally means a high city, and there were two major things that would happen in cities where they had an Acropolis, and that was worship and defense they would elevate this particular area so that they could uh, worship their gods on these high places or high hills or mountains. And they would also uh, leave this for defensive purposes should they be invaded by a foreign army it would make it tougher for that foreign army to get to them. You'll notice a couple of buildings. These are some ruins in Athens, Greece. And there was a lot of different uh, paganism and idolatry that went on in Athens. This is a model that was created to kind of show you what the Acropolis would look like in Paul's day, what he encountered. Several different temples, an agora, which actually literally means a marketplace where people would shop and discuss ideas, almost kind of like the shopping mall, but kind of a little different. And so this is the Parthenon. It was one of the major buildings in Athens, Greece, where Athena, the Greek goddess, was worshipped. She was one of the patroness uh, gods of, goddesses of the, the area. It's a picture of it at night, very beautiful, very stunning. This is the the, uh, Porch of the Maidens. You can see the architecture in Athens, Greece was pretty phenomenal. If you were just going there as a visitor on vacation or whatever, you'd be very impressed by the architecture, the detail, the the impressive buildings, the art, the thought that went into a lot of the architecture. Uh, This is along what's some remains of the Agora. What you can see is many different gods and goddesses elevated so that people could pay honor and uh, get a visual of what they may have looked like. To give you a little perspective, that's a person down at the bottom. So you can see how huge these particular creations were. People looked up, up at them often. And, you know, you couldn't help but go to the city but encounter this. This is some uh, ruins of the Agora, the marketplace in Athens, Greece where Paul would have been. And then this is a uh, kind of a modern fixed up version of what the Agora may have looked like in Paul's day, covered many different um, pillars with different designs on them. And this is what Paul would have encountered in his day. So he's come to Athens, Greece, the intellectual center of the world. One Roman satirist said when he had visited Athens some years later, He said it was easier to find a god or goddess in Athens than it was to find a man. In doing a little research on Athens, Greece, they said there was as many as 30,000 different gods and goddesses worshipped. About 3,000 different shrines or little um, altars to different gods and goddesses along the Agora. So that everywhere you looked in the marketplace, you would encounter yet another depiction of another god or goddess whom these people looked to. And so the city was filled with it. It was filled with the gods of the Greek pantheon. That is Greek mythology. You can think of uh, Apollo. You can think of Jupiter, Venus, Mercury, Bacchus, Neptune, Diana, Asclepius. And they were all stone and marble and gold and silver. Very impressive um, uh, relics. And this particular city, even though Rome conquered it in 146 BC, remained a free city And it kind of was at its heyday in the 4th or 5th century. This is where philosophers like Aristotle and Plato and Socrates all uh, got their fame. And so people would come from all over the world to visit Athens, Greece. And there would be a lot of intellectual people, a lot of people who wanted to go and talk about ideas in the different schools. And here is Paul. He's arrived there. He's arrived there most likely on ship. And he's waiting for his friends. He's waiting for Sil- Silas and Timothy to join him. So what does Paul do on vacation? <laughs> if you've ever been to a location like this, you can put on the vacationer hat. Uh, you can, you can kind of detach yourself from what's really going on. And you can appreciate beauty. And Paul was a man. And so I'm, I'm certain that he appreciated the architecture and the detail in a lot of these uh, things that were around him, just like any of us would. But Paul really could never be on vacation as an evangelist. So he was looking at the city and he was studying the city while he was waiting. And oftentimes we're at different places. We may go on vacation somewhere and maybe God will give you a different view of a place than you had before. Some years ago, I've told you before that I was an account executive for a a national printing company before I went into full time ministry. And we did a show in New Orleans and we were going to be in that location and many of my co-workers wanted to see Bourbon Street. And so Bourbon Street is that famous street known for all its debauchery. And so I asked my friend, who is also a believer, I said, what do you think I should do? Do you think I should go down with my coworkers and see Bourbon Street? He goes, I think you should. And I think you should be prayed up before you go. And I think you should be asking God to give you his eyes to see what you see. And so I took his advice. He was a very godly brother of mine in Christ and he had seen that place before as well. So my co-workers went down one night and I began to look around and a very odd feeling came over me. Maybe some of you can relate to this. I began to feel this ache and brokenness for the city because on windows and in different lighted signs there was all kind of debauchery. Uh, all kinds of X rated stuff, pictures open for public viewing just as you walk down the street. And I saw families with little kids, little boys, looking at the pictures on the windows. And the families were walking down the street like it was no big deal. And the pictures were very revealing, to say the least. And so I was, I even walked over to this one dad and said, Cover his eyes. What are you thinking? And I, began to almost weep, and I felt a little bit weird because my coworkers were saying, oh, just live and let live, man. What's your problem? These people are just having a good time. Live and let live. It's all fun. But there was something in my heart that was broken for these people, broken for this city. I think God had given me his eyes for just one second There's there's a song on the radio, it's a little older now, it says, give me your eyes for just one second. Give me your eyes so I can see. But I don't want God's eyes just for one second. God bless you, Doc. Um, Actually, I want his eyes consistently in my life. That's one of my problems, I don't know if you're like me. I wish I could see the world more consistently through God's eyes even when it breaks my heart, even when it's moving me to action. So look at verse 16. Paul is there. He's waiting for them in Athens, Greece. And I want you to notice what happened to Paul. His spirit, pneuma is the Greek word where we get the idea of his soul. Think of the innermost part of Paul's person was being provoked within him as he was beholding the city full of idols. If you're a note-taker, I'm going to give you two primary things to think about. First, I want you to think about what Paul saw. And then I want you to think about what Paul felt. Let's start with the word saw. When he was beholding, this is the Greek word where we get our English word theater. And this word will be used several times in our text. And the idea of the word is Paul was looking at the city with a certain amount of intensity, scrutinizing it, watching it and pondering it, drinking it in as though he were watching a theater or a movie. He was watching it in the sense of paying close attention to the details. And as he beheld the city with that word theater, here's how he felt. He was provoked within him because he saw the city full of idols. The word provoked is where we get the English word paroxysm. It literally means to move To anger. It means to be provoked in your spirit. You could say inside, Paul was infuriated, angry, righteously angry. And I have to say something to you, because I know this is a confusing subject for many Christians. There is such a thing as righteous anger. As a matter of fact, if there are some things that are evil in this world that don't make you angry, there's something wrong with you. There are things that should make you angry. Jesus, when He beheld the temple with the money changers and how they had changed the uh, court of the Gentiles into a merchandising place, He said, My Father's house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations. You have made it, what? A den of thieves. And what did he do? He took the tables of the money changers and he turned them over. He wouldn't let people pass by. He stopped what was going on. And they challenged him. They said, what right do you have? And Jesus was showing his authority there. And he was showing that God is sometimes provoked to anger. This word provoked is used in the Septuagint. That's the Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament. And it's the word used for how Israel provoked God to anger and jealousy over and over again. And what provoked God in the life of Israel? Their idolatry. God warned them over and over again. When you go into the land of Canaan, don't learn the detestable practices. Don't worship their gods. As a matter of fact, God said in his very first commandment, I am the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. You shall have no other gods before me. This is what I want you to follow. And over and over again, they provoked the Lord to jealousy. They provoked him to jealousy. And Oprah Winfrey says, I don't want to follow a God who's a jealous God. Wait a minute. There is a legitimate jealousy. There is a godly jealousy. I would encourage you, read 2 Corinthians 11, 2 and 3, where Paul says, I am jealous for you, Corinthians, with a godly jealousy. And he was talking there that they don't uh, get enraptured or pulled away from the truth by another Jesus and another gospel and another spirit. Paul says, I want you to be a pure virgin. I don't want you to be uh, taken away by false gods or a false gospel. Jealousy is legitimate, not when we're jealous of somebody else's gifts and success Because we want it for ourselves. Jealousy is legitimate when God is involved or a covenant is involved. Think of it this way Should you be jealous if another man tries to steal away your wife, husband? That's a godly jealousy because he has no business being there, and you should be jealous for your bride. Not in no weird sense, but you know what I'm saying. You have a covenant, a relationship that's been established by God, and no third party is supposed to be coming in there. That's a godly jealousy. Not some fanatical jealousy, but a godly jealousy. And God says, you know what? I want you to be true to me. Even God says in Exodus 34, 14, my name is Jealous, for I am a jealous God. In 1, Corinthians 19, or 1 Kings 19.10, Elijah said, I've been very jealous or zealous for the Lord, for the Lord God of hosts. i watched the people of Israel go into idolatry, and it's made me jealous for the name of God. See, what provoked Paul, very important, was the honor of God's name. What he saw in the city was all these altars, all these false gods, and people were giving attention to that which belonged to God alone. And it provoked Paul because Paul had God's heart. He saw the city with God's eyes, and he felt what God must feel whenever we elevate idols above the true place where God belongs. Do you understand? That's what provoked Paul. And so we should ask ourselves a question. When we see something similar, are we provoked to jealousy for the name of God. The city was full of idols. One writer says, end of 16, full of idols. The adjective Luke uses occurs nowhere else in the New Testament. Has not been found in any other Greek literature. Although most English versions render it full of idols, the idea conveyed seems to be that the city was under them. We might say that it was smothered in idols or swamped by them. Alternatively, since kata, words often express luxurious growth, says this one writer, what Paul saw was a veritable forest of idols, or another way to say it is the people were drowning under the idols, being pulled down as though they had a heavy stone uh, linked to their ankle, going under the weight of idolatry. That's what Paul saw. The city swamped by it. People under the pressure of idolatry. The gods and goddesses of the Greek pantheon were little better, if any better, than humans. They cheated on each other. They fought with each other. If you've studied any Greek mythology, you know that the gods and goddesses had problems. And some people say, well, that's kind of cool because then I can relate more to my God. Look, I'd like to worship a God who actually is holy and just and righteous and separate from sinners, and that's what the God of the Bible is. But even though he is that, what did he do? He came into this world to save us. He's not detached from us. He's not created by human hands as though he needed anything, which, which Paul will say. And so here's Paul. He sees a city swimming in idolatry. The question is not what he saw. I hope that this is uh, something that will burn in your soul and mind. It's not what he saw. It's how he saw it. You see, what Paul saw was what everybody saw. Impressive statues, wonderful architecture, but how he saw what he saw was the difference. And then how he felt. He was provoked. And the question is, well, what do you do when you have some righteous anger? Verse 17 will answer the question. So, you could say, therefore, he was reasoning in three places. He reasoned in the synagogue. The closest parallel today for us would be the church. With the Jews and the God-fearing Gentiles. He reasoned in the marketplace. That's the agora where shopping and ideas were discussed. Every day with those who happened to be present. And we're going to see in the next verse, in verse uh, 18, he was also discussing with the philosophers or the intelligentsia or the educated elite. Think of the university. Think of the branches of philosophy and education. And now you've got it. It starts with the church. We've got to be able to reason in the church. This is our word from last Sunday where we get the English word dialogue. It does speak of reasoning intellectually. God has given you a mind and you're to love Him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You don't check your brain at the church door, folks. Intellectually, the Bible should challenge you. The depths of God should challenge you to love Him with all of your mind. And that Greek word means your intellectual capabilities. Learn the, learn the original languages, study history, understand the context of the Bible so that you can be more equipped to reason with people, verse 17. It's got to be in the church so it flows out to the marketplace. What would be a reasonable um, synonym for the marketplace? It could be when you're out at the public park and your kid's playing soccer or baseball. It could be when you're at the shopping mall. It could be when you're out in your neighborhood. That's the marketplace of ideas. Guess what? Ideas are being discussed everywhere and worldviews are being pushed everywhere. Your kid in public school is getting a worldview pushed on them. Your child older in the secular university has a worldview being pushed on them. And it is up to the church to make sure that we are answering these challenges answering them honestly and biblically, dealing with questions, reasoning with people. Paul would reason with anybody who happened to be around, anybody who was present. He started to introduce the gospel because the word of God, Jeremiah 29, was like fire shut up in his bones. He couldn't hold it in. And Second Corinthians 5.14 says, the love of Christ compels us. Paul would say, I'm compelled to speak because these people are lost. It's one thing to listen to a message as a detached listener. It's another thing to ask yourself, what am I going to do with that? What am I going to do with this message that I heard in church? If you leave it in the pew or in the seat, then I don't think you're you're really understanding the the intention of the Bible. The Bible is not only given to us to teach us, it's given to us to change us. Amen? Amen? And I know that's what you want. And that's why you come. Change my eyes. Change my heart. So there's Paul. And he's also interacting with the third group, some Epicurean, verse 18, and Stoic philosophers. They were conversing with him. That word can mean uh, disputing. It could speak of a hostile debate with him. Some were saying, what would this idle babbler wish to say? And others Said He seems to be a proclaimer of strange deities or gods because he, Paul, was preaching who? Jesus. And I would just, uh, by reason of in- inference, he was preaching Jesus, the cross, and the resurrection. You can't have a resurrection without the cross. He was probably preaching Jesus' life and death, and miracles, and His resurrection, going around to different people, all different classes of people, and reasoning, and reasoning, and reasoning with them. If you would like to listen to this message, or if you would like more information about the ministry of Living Truth, please visit our website at livingtruthcorona.org. That's livingtruthcorona.org. In Acts chapter 17, verses 16 through 34, we have ministry in the marketplace, and that is Paul going into Athens, Greece, a place that, uh, uh, of course, is very well known. We're very well known for the origin of the Olympic Games, very well known for uh, much going on in terms of philosophy and, and that kind of thing. And Paul goes into this particular area to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, and it's a great, awesome section of scripture. It's one that every one of us should have. Uh, cemented in our hearts as Paul moves on to Athens, Greece to preach the gospel. First thing we notice is that Paul, as he was waiting in Athens, his spirit was being provoked because he beheld a city full of idols. You know, when Paul looked around this great uh, city, what he saw is that it was literally swimming under idols or in a forest of idols. The city was literally under them. And it seems like there's some places that we go where, you know, you can look around and you can just see the spiritual darkness and you can see a city that is just swimming in immorality in a forest where it can't even see out anymore. It's so under um, the lie and deception. And Paul was provoked um, because he saw a city fully given over to idolatry. The provocation that Paul felt was one of jealousy for God. Uh, Paul was infuriated. He was provoked. He was looking at a city that had bought into a lie, or multiple lies, and could not even see through it to see the true God. All the idols were simply substitutes that could not even come close to the truth of God, who He is and did the truth of the gospel and paul did something about it he didn't just you know sit there and curse the darkness and say how awful is this you know i'm moving on but as a result he was reasoning in the synagogue and with the god-fearing gentiles and in the marketplace every day paul began to he began to reason the word reason has the idea of dialogue and paul would go in and it wasn't just a monologue it wasn't just him preaching you know, on top of a box or something. He engaged people is the idea. There was a dialogue back and forth. And he engaged the philosophers, the Jews on the Jewish side and the, the Gentiles, the uh, Epicurean and Stoic philosophers and so forth. And, and he began to, to share with them the truth of the gospel. And he met them where they were.